This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. By the way. And Biden beat up Kamala Harris with the black vote all through the primary. So right. I don't think that's fair to Biden either. But look, this is good for Newsom. The question is, should this have been his time? Yeah, and you don't know until you've missed it. Mm -hmm. And you think, ah, I should have run. All right, Chris Cuomo, it's going to be a great interview. You can watch it tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern right here on News Nation. But right now, uh, we're going to go to Leland Vittert, and he will be uh, starting his show in just a few moments. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. We'll see you here again next uh, tomorrow night, same time. On the program tonight, Trump, the inevitable. I'm the only candidate that they do not want to run against. New polling shows there's nothing presumptive about the former president's nomination. Why the real 2024 drama will be among the Democrats. I have deep respect, reverence for Joe Biden as a person. Southern strike. It's unusual. Before, we would never see this many Chinese nationals coming across this area here. New fears China is sending waves of military-aged men across our open border. Why it might be too late. Stores close. Oakland businesses go on strike to protest crime. Oaklanders are, are scared to come out the house. But what about the poor and minority communities left without grocery stores and pharmacies? Plus, shark rescue. Oh, my... The couple who dared to wrestle this man-eating Mako to save its life. Babe, it's too dangerous. Don't be doing that. What were they possibly thinking? Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight from Washington. It's becoming more apparent, probably is apparent at this point, that the real drama in the 2024 presidential election is going to be among Democrats. Almost daily now, it looks less likely that President Biden will be the Democratic nominee and more likely former President Trump will be the Republican nominee. We'll get to Mr. Biden in a few minutes with tonight's edition of Newsom Watch. The California governor is on Cuomo in the next hour. His interview, Newsom's interview, gives every indication of a man in the on-deck circle just waiting for the call-up. From today's Washington Post, a growing number of polls are showing voters concerned about President Biden's age and energy. Democratic lawmakers have hesitated to offer full-throated endorsements of his running mate. Prominent commentators have ruminated on whether he should drop out of the presidential race. That's the Washington Post. This is unheard of for a sitting president, as we've told you for a while now. 2024 is going to look a lot more like 1968 than it does 1980, 1968 being when Lyndon Johnson dropped out. But let's deal with what was supposed to be the crazy, bruising primary fight among Republicans. Well, that has not happened. There hasn't even been a fight, even a pillow fight. As Trump predicted, each indictment has only made his poll numbers go up. It defies political logic. Nationally, 
He's 44 points up on his main contenders. In some polls, he is near 60. In the early voting states where candidates build the most momentum heading into Super Tuesday, he's up 30 points in Iowa, 31 in New Hampshire, 34 in South Carolina. That's with two people from South Carolina running. That puts Trump at a very unique advantage. It's almost unheard of at this point in the primaries except for an incumbent. And basically, perhaps, we should realize that Donald Trump is an incumbent. He can now start appealing to the center. And he's doing that starting with the striking auto workers. Whose side are you on in this? Uh, I'm on the side of uh, making our country great. Uh, the auto workers uh, are not going to have any jobs when you come right down to it, because if you take a look at what they're doing with electric cars, electric cars are going to be made in China. The auto workers are not going to have any. I'll tell you what, the auto workers are being sold down the river by their leadership and their leadership should endorse Trump. Noteworthy that the United Auto Workers has not endorsed President Biden. Trump sees an opening here for a conservative voice amid frustrations with President Biden. There's absolutely no reason for him not to take it. This is from the Huffington Post. In line with his vow not to take the stage with other Republicans, he will head to Detroit on the day of the next primary debate. And again, he also has told them he has no reason to debate the Republican field. The age-old strategy for Republicans is to seek the presidential nomination by running to the far right. That's what Donald Trump did in 2016. But then during the general election, you play to the center. Not so right now. Donald Trump has already started his tack to the center, for example, on the issue of abortion. Democrats are able to kill the baby after birth. Let me talk to you. Nobody wants that. That Democrats don't want that. So either. we're going to come together. I want to know what you want. I want to know what you're going to do if you're. We are going to would come together. Would you sign federal legislation there. that would ban abortion at 15 weeks? No, no. Let me just tell you what I do. I'm going to come together with all groups. And we're going to have something that's acceptable. That is the answer of a man running in the general election, not a guy trying to win the Republican primary. With us now, political consultant Sir Michael Singleton, Scott Traynor, Director of Data Science for our partners at Decision Desk HQ. Gentlemen, good to see you. Uh, Sir Michael, any reason to think that Trump will not be the nominee? No, no reason at all. And I think uh, some individuals are beginning to wonder. So it's his. Oh, I think so. I was just in a Midwestern state last weekend. And voters, even those who were supporting other candidates, are beginning to say maybe it's time to consolidate around the likely nominee, that being Donald Trump, uh, Leland, so that the party can begin to focus its message on a general election strategy versus the infighting that you see in a primary process, which can be challenging, as you know, as a pollster, when you have to pivot to a general. You know, Scott, we've talked a lot about polling. We'll talk about betting odds for a second, which sometimes are a little more predictive. Betting odds on presidential candidates, Trump plus 270, DeSantis plus 1850, uh, Ramaswamy plus 2400. Uh, it's more likely that Michelle Obama is going to be the nominee. You get better odds on that than you do on Ramaswamy, almost as likely as Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as it is Ron DeSantis. What, is this, what does this say? What do the betting markets know that that the pundits on TV who want to make you think this is a real race don't. 
Well, off the top of my head, if I could get Trump at plus 270, I'd lay some money on that. I think that's probably a little bit underestimating his odds or likelihood. Um, but what the betting markets are is they understand, you know, it's people putting their money on their line, and they understand what the mechanics are. And the mechanics of the race are this. Right now, as you so- showed in the polling, Trump is up anywhere 30 to 40 points, depending on the average. We're four or five months away from uh, Iowa, and then a whole bunch of contests after that. And a presidential primary is about momentum. So if Donald Trump wins Iowa, wins New Hampshire, win South Carolina, he's got momentum. That's not enough to win a nomination, but the momentum's on his side, and right now it looks pretty good. Yeah, I think it was George H.W. Bush who called it the Big Mo um, back, back in 1992. Harris polling, courtesy of The Hill, Biden trails GOP candidates. The, the argument against Donald Trump on the Republican side had always been one of electability. That's Nikki yeah. Haley's argument over and over and over again, Shermichael. But then you think about it, Biden versus Trump, Trump wins by four points. Yeah. Um, Haley... Haley wins by four points. Uh, Tim Scott uh, barely by two, so inside the margin of error. Is the electability argument now gone, or is this simply talking about the weakness of Joe Biden and Republicans should should not measure the drapes? I wouldn't say that it's necessarily gone, but I think when you look at the cross tabs, it's fair to say that that it's fading. I mean, I, I think there are some legitimate questions about President Biden's age and, and his mental Abilities. I'm not saying this. Just some voters believe this from what they see. And and his ability to lead for another four years. Will Kamala Harris become president at some point? Her favorabilities are less than Biden's. And also, I think, Leland, the the economy. It's not great. Now, the administration would have most Americans believe the recession is improving. Jobs have increased. Well, wages haven't necessarily increased uh, with with these recession numbers. People Uh, think they feel poor. Absolutely. And I think when you look at other metrics, energy, cost of food, gas, et cetera, these things are all going up. And from the average voter, particularly independent swing voters in some of those battleground states are looking at these things and saying, you know, Biden was okay to sort of get us out of the COVID mess, if you will. But I like the Trump economy better. I think I'll hold my nose and go back with Trump. So that's the question. Are you better off four years ago than you are today? That was Reagan's famous question in, in 80. I think about the UAW strike and the fact that Donald Trump is headed there. Is this part of the realignment, Scott, between college-educated progressives uh, who are now moving more towards the Democratic Party and rural-slash-suburban working whites moving towards Donald Trump? Absolutely. We saw this in 2016. That's why Pennsylvania was so competitive the last two two cycles, is especially Western Pennsylvania. I look at this as, you know, this is a very smart move by him. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, those are going to be key battleground states if Donald Trump is the nominee, especially against Joe Biden. And those states were separated by tens of thousands of votes. 160,000 United Auto Workers, I believe, are on strike, probably more when you factor in families and dependents and things like that. This is really smart for him. Well, and you factor in all the other, all, this, all the suppliers that supply the plants that are already Hey, can I throw in quickly in Pennsylvania? I think they just announced they're going to go to automatic registration of voting. There are about two, a little over 2 million non-college educated white voters in Pennsylvania. They lean towards Donald Trump. Yeah. All right. Gentlemen, good to see you. The Thank you. Continues. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Uh, we, will get, we will get to President Biden in a minute. But just in terms of how things look for whoever the Republican nominee is, most likely Donald Trump, gas prices are on the rise again. It's something that the Republicans are talking about. It is hitting now the highest in almost a year. The national average, $3.88, up $1.49 since President Biden took office. And now the CEO of Chevron is sharing some, well, an unwelcome prediction. $100 oil, is that going to happen? 
Sure looks like it. We're certainly moving in that direction. Uh, the uh, momentum, uh, you know, supply is tightening. Inventories are, are drawing. These things happen gradually. You can see it building. Of course, if oil goes up, gas goes up. Crude is under $100 a barrel. If it reaches $125, we can see gas prices rise to $4.5 or higher at $150 a barrel. Gas goes to more than $5 a gallon just in time for Christmas. Our friend Eric Erickson noted that as the cost of oil rises, you're going to be pairing higher transportation costs while businesses are passing on higher costs to an increasingly penny-pinched consumer. That's even before you pay to heat your home with heating oil. The newest member of our News Nation family is with us, Connell McShane, the new host of News Nation Now, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the channel. First of all, welcome. It's nice, nice to see to you. Leland. Yeah, but great to have you. All right. Uh, the argument from the Biden administration yeah. is that our policies don't really affect this, and in the short term, they may be right. Be fair about this. The, the energy policies that we're seeing from the White House, what could they, could, could they, could they not do that would affect the price of gas right Well, I think we use short-term versus long-term, and we use history as our guide. And I think that it is fair to say that in the short-term, the policies of any president, whether it's this or a preceding president, do have very little effect on the price of gas. Now, over the longer-term, administration policies and what your priorities are uh, could have an effect on oil prices, oil supply, what the priorities are of the country. If you're moving towards more of an environmental priority, are you going to have less incentive to produce domestically. All of that is true, but I think it is fair that in the short term, there's not much a president could do. Now, it's clear, however, which makes this an interesting story, that this administration still feels like it has to act to try to bring gas prices down. Look how many times the president has tapped the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as an example. Look how he speaks about when prices are down. They're not down now, as you've pointed out. But when they're down, he'll say and try to take credit for the prices coming down. It is kind of contradictory if you're being fair on that side as well. But I do think there's very little a president can do in the short term. Yeah, it's it's every politician, right? When yeah. things are good, they take credit. When things are bad, well, they blame yeah. they blame somebody else. I thought this was interesting from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, inflation will continue until morale improves. Uh, trading on the line, uh, of course, that the beatings will continue until morale improves. Five point uh, increase in the federal funds rate in the past eighteen months. Interest rates way up. Car price, you know, car loans, home loans, mortgages, everything else. Uh, real median weekly wages down seven percent since twenty twenty. Core inflation well above four percent. Double the Fed's yeah. target. The, what I, what we, I feel like we sometimes miss is the direct correlation between gas prices going up and the price of everything else going up. Because for so long, it's, it felt as though that was mitigated, and now that correlation is a lot stronger. Why is that? Well, gas prices are normally excluded from our regular gauge of inflation because they can be volatile, right? So they, they, when you're trying to measure inflation over time, you'll say excluding um, the fuel prices because they can be volatile. To your point, many times they do move in the same direction as other prices, and we've all experienced that over the last however many years. So that's why I think, even though to our the previous point that we were making, a president can have very little effect on the price of of gasoline in the short term. A Federal Reserve chairman and the Federal Open Market Committee, and they're in the middle of a meeting right now as we speak. It'll make an interest rate announcement uh, tomorrow. They probably won't move on interest rates this time around. But that's the group that can have an impact. So as we try to look at it through a political lens, over the next year, a lot can change in this economy. If the Fed, you know, starts to realize that they 
still have more work to do on inflation, they could slow the economy too yeah. much. They know that. It's a real fine line to walk here. And that is what could have political ramifications, which if you're President Biden or you're any president running for re-election, you don't have as much control of as you do other, uh, other policies. Yeah, and as you point out, in the short term, very little control over yeah. um, the gas supply. Although, to your uh, like on Thursday, he said it again. I'm going to I'm going to get the prices down again. Talks so, about it all the time, uh, but really can't do yeah. much about it. Yeah, yeah, especially in the short term. All right, Connell, uh, welcome to the welcome to the team. Thanks, uh, your show starts on Monday. I know we're going to check in with you throughout the week. Uh, glad to have you with us. Thanks. I'm excited. Uh, we heard from Appreciate a lot it. of you. Yeah, for sure. We heard from a lot of you about our segment last night on Senator John Fetterman and his hoodie. Yesterday, the Senate announced a change to their dress code. Jacket and ties are out. You can now come as you are. From social media, Shell May zero zero. Uh, it's proven that when you dress up, you are more productive as well as you hold yourself to a higher level. Plenty of studies on it. Explains a lot about what life is like now compared to when everyone dressed up. You and my grandmother would have gotten along well. Uh, Blocky Chinsky, I've pretty much learned if you're wearing a suit and tie, I should be very suspicious of you. You are on to something here. Lawyers, news anchors, used car salesmen, uh, preachers, Mormons, uh, I might take issue with that there, but I don't know if we need to get into religion, but this is remnant of a bygone era, and from what I can tell, is only used when you need to trick people into trusting you. Well, we Work hard as news anchors to earn your trust every night here on News Nation, but we'll continue to wear suit and ties. As I said last night, the standard is the standard. Grand Newage Society's bar, just society's bar just keeps getting lower and lower. Used to be a sign of respect to dress up for various reasons, shirk, job, job interviews, flying, weddings, funerals, or just looking good for your spouse or date. I think laziness is the main reason a lack of effort is made anymore. That and a certain lack of values. Fair bygone era. But this is my absolute favorite, and this is why we so appreciate your thoughts. J.D. Lowry, and we had not thought of this, make them all, meaning everyone in Congress, wear NASCAR suits with all the logos of the corporations that have bought them. Here now, Democratic strategist, LA Times contributor, former House GOP Oversight Committee, and hoodie enthusiast, Kurt Bardell. <laughs> you don't have any logos on there. I, I'm not bought and paid for by anybody. That's why. Okay, there we go. I, look, I was on the radio earlier and I read this comment, which I think is just absolutely <laughs> delightful. Uh, and the woman who I was talking to, Lisa Dent, said, uh, there aren't suits, NASCAR suits big enough for all of the logos. That would be amazing. This senator brought to you by Big Pharma, <laughs> by Big Labor, by Big Oil, by for Defense Contra, Northrop Grundy. That would be outstanding. Yeah, I, I thought we could also add on to that all of the stocks they've recently traded. Oh, there that you might, go. might oh, help yeah. us understand yeah. what, what's going on. Okay, so <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get back to the issue of John Fetterman. This is what we said last night that sparked so much of a response. Take a listen. In America now, if we can't play by the rules, we change them. If we can't meet the standards, we change the standards. Of course, that means the new standard becomes the lowest standard, the lowest common denominator, all in the name of equity. Why do you think this issue of changing the Senate dress codes hits such a nerve that it exploded on social media? Well, I think when you, anytime you're talking about changing societal norms, like people expect when you see a member of the United States Congress, don't care what party you are, don't care how old you are, you expect a certain presentation, a certain decorum, if you will. And anytime you're changing precedent, like what you can wear on the Senate floor, the floor of the United States Congress, like 
that's that's a big deal in my opinion, honestly. Um, and, and when you start opening up that door, no matter what the intentions are and, 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 and what you think might happen, like how would we all feel if one day we turn on the State of the Union address and everyone there is wearing not... Yeah, everybody's there in, in, in golf clothes and quarters. Hey, Susan Collins, uh, <laughs> Susan Collins of Maine, suggested she may wear a bikini tomorrow. Um, just to, to nobody sort of wants that point. visual. Oh, no boy, one needed you, that. You, you went there. I wasn't going to, but I, I think she was making that point herself that this is just not what we want to do. I, I think this is the question, though. My reason of why it hit such a chord, and tell me if I'm wrong, is this didn't go to the the institution itself. It went so specifically to John Fetterman, who right. has flouted the dress code. He did it wearing a suit. Then he went away to a hospital for depression. He came back. He said, now I'm just going to be myself. I'm wearing my hoodie. Is that it It showed a accommodation to one person who says, I'm just going to be different and almost just sort of show either an inability or a lack of respect to the institution and to that, to all of the people that he serves. Right. I think my issue is no one senator is bigger than the institution. Our entire process is predicated on the idea that no one individual's rights is bigger than the collective whole's. And I do think it's an issue of respect. It's like, listen, I don't give a crap, frankly, what Senator Federman wants to wear, what he doesn't want to wear, what he's comfortable in, whatever. But there is this institution that has existed since the founding of our country that has a standard. And when you decide that you want to become a part of that institution, you're kind of accepting that that comes with some of those rules, guidelines, regulations, whatever. Like, that's just part of the gig. If you don't like that gig, then don't run for it. Well, that's sort of what we said, right? The, the Coach Tomlin quote the right. standard the standard is the standard when you change the standard then it uh, I mean if it, I could get away with just wearing this everywhere I well, go Well you just did okay well, uh, yeah, not I mean, you know, it's like... only for you buddy <laughs> good to see you uh, business owners in Oakland have had enough they're closing their doors in a strike to bring attention to the utter lawlessness in their city literally the businesses are closing they say it's so bad they they have no other choice will other businesses across the country follow their lead You can't go to the grocery stores. You can't put your groceries in your cars. You can't do anything. 12 feet long, 600 pounds with razor-sharp teeth, and they help pull it back to sea. The Good Samaritans tell us about their man-eating shark rescue. Yes, they saved a shark when we come back. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. It's easy to get numb to these videos. We can't, though. This is a robbery committed in broad daylight in Oakland, California. A woman was pistol-whipped, dragged, and robbed just before 6.30 p.m. 
She offers little to no resistance, and she is violently pistol-whipped, as you can see, and dragged. As we've told you, and as we've shown you, video like this is all too common across America, and for that matter, in Oakland as well. Crime in the California cities out of control, literally. Car thefts are up 51%, burglaries up 40 robberies up 31 violent crime up 20 aggravated assault up 12%. Oakland's mayor, though, well, can't really be bothered to deal with it. She has, well, not even really a good answer. She didn't even have an answer. When recently pressed by the NBC affiliate out there about a clerical error that cost Oakland some of $267 million that was part of a state grant that Oakland would have gotten some of, to fight crime. Is this emblematic of how the city is run? You know, uh, that is a question for the city administrator, and he is open to he is open to answering that. We are having uh, internal uh, conversations as well to ensure that this doesn't happen again. But I would uh, definitely uh, urge you to reach out to the city administrator's office. If the Raiders, the Oakland Raiders, the football team were still in Oakland, they could have used the mayor as their punter. Oakland has become a nightmare for residents and business owners alike. And those business owners are saying enough. They're calling for a one-day strike. They're going to all close their stores to tell the mayor that something has got to be done to reverse course on crime. That is, as we've reported, leading to the destruction of their city. Terry Wiley, former chief assistant district attorney for Alameda County, that's Oakland County, is is here. Uh, Terry, we appreciate you being here. We'll, we'll get to the mayor in a second. And Politicians kicking the can down the road happen a lot. But let's talk about the policies in Oakland. There's been this experiment across the country about changing the way you deal with crime. Given these statistics, given this video, is it now time to say the experiment failed? Well, um, you know, I think that no one denies that there had to be some changes in our criminal justice system, uh, particularly when you look at some of the lower level crime. Uh, you know, there are ways to find alternatives uh, to, to jail and incarceration. Uh, but it has gotten to a point in the city of Oakland where uh, it, it is, there's almost a sense of lawlessness going on within the city. Uh, for example, in the restaurant industry, you know, in many uh, neighborhoods in Oakland, you have neighborhoods that have these commercial corridors where you have a lot of the local restaurants. And many of them uh, have gotten to a point where it just isn't profitable to stay in business because the customers are being burglarized. Uh, the stores, uh, the, the restaurants are being robbed. The customers are being robbed after going into the, to the, to the establishment, leaving the establishment. Uh, it's had a huge impact on business and just the quality of life uh, throughout the city. Yeah. Terry, this is my problem so much. And, and look, give people their due, I guess. And to be fair, some people had good intentions when they went through criminal justice reform and said we're locking up too many people on and on and on. But at the same time, and this is my question, how do we get past the idea that the, the communities that have gotten hurt the most are the poor, the black and brown, and the minority communities when all these businesses leave? They don't have restaurants to go to. They don't have supermarkets. They don't have drugstores. Um, and now and now they're, they're the ones who are hurt the worst, and yet the leadership still says, we're going to continue with this experiment. It's like, uh, you know, morale will, you know, beatings will continue until morale improves. We're just going to, we're going to keep allowing crime, I guess, until what? Everybody moves out? What, what has to happen for the, the progressive wing of, of the prosecutor's caucus, if you will, to say, 
we're done. This didn't work. Well, look, in, in order for any system, uh, criminal justice system to really work, uh, there has to be a certain level of accountability in the system. Uh, there cannot be messaging uh, sent out to the broader community that no matter what crime you commit, there's going to be you're not going to be held accountable. And that's one of the problems that we're having is that people do not think that no matter how much how many burglaries they commit, no matter how many robberies they commit, that 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 if they're caught, they're not going to be really held accountable wow. by our system of justice. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's that not until, yeah. no, look. You just you said you said that, you said changes, everything. Yeah. Well, until that changes, changes nothing, it's going to continue yeah. uh, on the trajectory that we're on. Yeah, it's scary, especially when you see these videos, and and obviously we saw what the mayor thought about about it. Um, Terry, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Uh, sadly, because this this isn't changing. Uh, it goes about saying that when people are on a beach and they see a shark in the water, they try to get themselves and their kids out of the water as fast as possible. That's why we all liked the movie Jaws. Get the kids out of the water. Get yourself out of the water. That's what most people would do. But when a giant mako shark, the fastest shark in the ocean, by the way, landed on a beach in Pensacola, Florida, some folks did a very curious thing. They raced into the water to drag the shark to safety. Oh, my. Babe, it's too dangerous. Don't be doing that. All right, so they ended up rescuing the massive Mako shark that had beached itself. Josh and Tina Fey, two of those who helped, are here with us. Um, we're glad to have you and that you rescued the shark and the shark didn't, didn't get the, the better of you. Uh, what on earth were you thinking? No, we were just thinking that, uh, you know, it looked like she beached herself. She was chasing bait or whatnot coming in these sandbars and... Uh... She needed some help. She was up there thrashing around. She couldn't get back into the moisture where she needed to be, so we had to do what we had to do. You you weren't scared at all? I mean, I'm watching these teeth and her flip around. This, this is not exactly like a, a baby deer that um, suddenly, like, you know, waits and, like, licks its, its rescuers and says, hey, we're here. You know, okay, I'm going to stop for a second. Yeah, that, uh, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. Trust me, it, all, uh, it was very scary. Very I scary. think the adrenaline rush was going through our veins so fast. Like, we didn't really even think about it. We just knew that it needed help, and we were just at the right place at the right time. So this is what I think is interesting. Uh, one of the most dangerous sharks to human life, 10 human attacks, one fatality, second most substantial bite in the world, 3,000 pounds of bite force, second only uh, to a crocodile can swim 46 miles an hour. Did you guys know this when you were trying to rescue it? Not at all. You know, I just seen an animal that was in need, and uh, we gathered some guys on the beach and uh, put our hands together and made it happen. Well, evidently the police and the lifeguards and everybody else said there's nothing we can do. You all hopped in to save it, and look, I mean, we need people like you who run run to animals, helpless animals that need, that need it. 
I feel like there's a joke to be made about only in Florida or a Florida man. Have you heard any of those lately? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I hope I'm not one of them. <laughs> Look, it's for only only in Florida do people go and rescue sharks. Uh, boy, uh, we need more folks like you. We're, we appreciate you joining us. Um, thank you. The world's a better place for stories like this. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Coming up next, a new warning about China using our open southern border to sneak in thousands of would-be spies or saboteurs. Why a 900% increase in Chinese captures along the border proves something awfully sinister. It's a very lucrative uh, business for the smuggling organizations, especially dealing with Chinese nationals, where they're having to pay anywhere from $35,000 and up. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. The border crisis has all but disappeared for most television newscasts and newspapers. It's disappeared on newspaper, but of course it has not disappeared on the border. The border crisis is still getting worse, not better. Despite all the assurances of a crackdown, the Border Patrol once again says they don't have the staff to process everyone. For the fifth straight day, more than 300 migrants were dropped off in buses across San Diego, bringing the number more than 3,300 border crosses who were released into that city last week. The city's border patrol facilities are simply overwhelmed. They have nowhere to put the people. We're seeing trains full of migrants racing towards the Rio Grande. Folks are climbing over the fences. We're often told that these migrants are made up of families escaping roving gangs of thugs in places like Venezuela or Guatemala. The reality, though, is that we don't know who these people are or where they are coming from. Border Patrol now reports a 900% spike in Chinese migrants crossing to the southern border in the last year. The numbers are staggering. Almost 10,000 Chinese nationals were encountered at the border, and just 1,500 of those were made up of families. The rest, over 8,000 Chinese nationals crossing the border, were single. They're not families looking to live the American dream. In reality, we don't know who they are, and we don't know the exact number of Chinese nationals crossing. We know the ones who are caught. Oftentimes, it's at least double that that are not caught. Here now to discuss all of this, Chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, Congressman Mark Green. Good to see you, sir. Thank Good to you. See you how it's curious, right? Because China, it's not like you can just drive to the airport and hop on an international <laughs> flight. You need yeah. an exit visa. You got to get money out of China. All of these things. Who are all these people? Well, there's a considerable number of them that actually have CCP ties and PLA ties. All right. So this is the People's Liberation Army. Yeah. And the Communist Party. And so, the, so we're looking at the video of these guys. When you say ties, what does that mean? So there are actual members who were in the People's Liberation Army, the People's Liberation Air Force, and they are here in the United States, released into the United States. So what are they here to do? They're probably work at their grandma's Chinese restaurant? What's going on? No, they're claiming asylum, that they're fleeing, you know, looking for a better life, that they're persecuted back in China. And, and, and the number's 18,000 this fiscal year, by the way. 18, so 18,000 caught. 
18,000 caught. That's exactly right. So what right. do we what do we expect that to mean in terms of the numbers who have gotten away? So typically you say 20%. That's what Chief Ortiz, when he was the border chief, said. The, the unknowns are 20% more. That's right, but case. plus the gotaways. We don't uh, know how many. that's exactly. Well, the many? gotaways are a different set of numbers. Yeah, all right. So what's the deal here? Is this is Are these spies who are coming in to be ready for a conflict with China to all of a sudden start, like, the Russians had the you know illegals program during the Soviet times. So I think you would understand this because you went and did some reporting in Ukraine, as I recall. Th- this is what concerns me. Clearly, the Russians infiltrated people, migration, who set up homes in Ukraine, and then were saboteurs in the invasion. Now, I'm not saying that China is going to invade the United States, but if we were to defend Taiwan, I mean, the highest number ever before was 1,200. And suddenly, in this fiscal year, 18,000? I mean, you have to think that this is a part of some plan or strategy. You'd be foolish not to at least consider that. All right, so we're looking at pictures, all military-age men, a lot of them with shaved heads, a lot of them have come through Venezuela, where the Chinese have very close ties. You say we'd be foolish not to, not to consider it. So they, they become saboteurs during a, a war with a war with China over Taiwan, something like that. Is there anything we can do about this? Well, right now, they're uh, basically bum-rushing our military installations and stumbling into the gates in large numbers. We actually had a a, a group that were caught in scuba gear swimming off of a a naval installation. They were just tourists, though, right? They they were great scuba diving. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's you've got to raise the question mark here. We've just got some video from Jorge Ventura, who's one of our reporters on the border, very, very well sourced, that, that the cartels now are about to release a huge flood across the border. Does this sort of lay bare that the Biden administration's idea of we're going to make it harder to claim asylum on and on and on is not working? Oh, no, it never was intended to not work. It was just that the CBP-1 app was a game. It was just to try to create some legal pathway into the United States. We had 177,000 cross last month, and that's almost back up to the highs. So this notion, and, and the reason it dipped in June was because we had a massive heat wave in the southern U.S. Of course people were coming in, a few, in fewer numbers then. They never intended to decrease the numbers. Look, now they're talking about remain in Texas I mean, you've heard this. Yeah, the remaining Texas thing of, right, we we have all these people who have broken the law already, risked everything to come to America, but for some reason they're going to decide to stay in Texas and not cross that border. Well, it's hypocritical because if they wanted them in the U.S. to fill jobs, which is what they said, why keep them just in Texas? They're contradicting them their own selves. That that would be what politicians do. It's good to see you, sir. Good to see you. (laughs) Uh, He doubt protests too much. The more Gavin Newsom says he's not running for president, the more everyone, and I mean everyone, thinks he's getting ready to run. Cuomo tells us if he believes the non-running for president California governor next. The vice president, Kamala Harris, polling is nowhere. You say she's the absolute best person to be vice president. Of course she is. On what basis? Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. 
take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. The time has come, as promised, for tonight's Newsome Watch, our regular check-in on the California governor who insists he is not running for president. And tonight, he is sitting down with Chris Cuomo to clear the air once and for all. The vice president, Kamala Harris, polling is nowhere. You say she's the absolute best person to be vice president. Of course she is. On she what gets, basis? On the basis of being able to lay claim to the success and the record of the Biden administration. She, you can't claim that. I can't claim that. It's the Biden-Harris administration. She gets to talk about the three, 13.5 million jobs. She gets to talk about $1.7 trillion reduction in the deficit and a trillion dollars as part of the debt deal. She gets to talk about the success of the Infrastructure Act and the Chips and Science Act. She gets to talk about the bipartisan deal-making of this administration because she's a member of the administration. You think she strengthens basis. the ticket? She doesn't weaken the ticket? I think by definition, she has the ability as a member of the administration, to make the case better than any other Democrat. All right. You were across from him, Chris. What do you think? No lose uh, for Governor Gavin Newsom. Being supportive uh, beyond even uh, rationality of the president and the vice president. That's being a good team player. Can't fault him for that. Uh, Highly unusual for a politician, uh, even in party, of his stature to be as heavy handed in their advocacy this early on, even more so than the candidate himself. There's only one downside to what the governor's doing is that in being so um, forceful that he's not running. What if this was his best window? What if four years from now it's a complete mob fest on the Democratic side and he doesn't? Uh, rise up the way he is right now in the eyes of a lot of Democrats. You've seen the polling. That's the risk. That's the risk. Well, let me let me just turn this around on you. Trying to primary Joe Biden at this very moment, right? We said this is a little bit like 1968 when Lyndon Johnson dropped out just after Bobby Kennedy got in. That was in March. He's he's doing everything he needs to do to run for president. He's traveling the country. He's fundraising. He's growing his pack. He's doing everything but saying he's running for president. If he was running for president, isn't this the playbook that anybody would give him is be be overly supportive, be overly enthusiastic so that he is the heir apparent if Joe Biden steps down? I mean, despite what he said, nobody thinks Kamala Harris would be the heir apparent for 2024. Nobody. Well, he's definitely playing uh, in a good way if Joe Biden steps away. But if Joe Biden does not step away, then he said, I'm not running against him. And you can't uh, laud the man, lionize the man the way that Newsom is and then try to draw comparisons with him. We'd kill you for that. Uh, So he's making a bet that my time isn't now. My time is the next time. That's just a dicey proposition in politics. You don't know how things are going to change. He's got momentum right now. But I will tell you this. He said something I've heard no one else say. And I think it's an important thing for him to continue saying. We made mistakes during the pandemic. If I could do it again, I would do a lot of things differently. And he articulates why that is. Nobody does that. Everybody's afraid of weakness. 
uh, and how it's perceived. I mean, he, he was the guy who did things differently for himself, right? He was the guy eating at the French laundry while everybody else was... Was yeah, but look, I, I got to tell you, to go out of their house. Yes, but you know what? You know, so often in politics, the basis of criticism is so petty and self-serving. You know, there are a lot of people who lay out policies who don't follow those same policies every way. You think every politician who drives always goes to the speed limit? You know, so oh, yeah, well, he, that, that, he got caught at the fundraiser. Me. He shouldn't have been there. It was stupid. Yeah. Uh, but the idea that you're wrong to tell me to wear a mask unless you wear one every second of every day. That's asking a little bit too much as well. But that's politics. But he's well positioned and he has distanced himself through his advocacy from the entire rest of the field. Nobody can step in and advocate for Biden the way he is now because he already claimed the top spot as being the biggest yeah. booster. Well, and he, he also has now this enormous national platform, right? You mm-hmm. know, there, there's a vacuum. There's nobody, nobody from the Biden administration will come out on your show or my show or anybody else and defend the Biden administration. Joe Biden won't sit down for an interview with anybody. Yeah, which I, think is, which, which I think is uh, a huge problem. And I'll tell you what, to your earlier question, do you know who should be playing the role of Gavin Newsom right now? Kamala Harris. Yeah. Why well, isn't she, Kamala but, Harris? Well... <laughs> She should be the blanketing the, the airways obvious, the right? same way. She should be out yeah. there making the case, yeah. not ducking no, questions. Yeah. All right. We got we to gotta run. Uh, hey, awesome interview. I got to see some clips. It's exciting. It's coming up 10 minutes away. Congratulations. Um, really important interview. And those clips are going to matter uh, for years to come. So we'll see you then. Uh, Alabama Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville is calling Democrats bluff. Tomorrow, we will learn who is playing politics with American national security. Tuberville? or Democrats. Tomorrow, the Senate's going to take up the nomination of Eric Smith to be Commandant of the Marine Corps. The vote is spearheaded by Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. That, of course, comes as a surprise to those of you who've heard for months now that Tuberville is hurting military readiness by holding up high-level military promotions. Tuberville is flipping the script on Democrats. He's trying to force the Senate to vote on each nomination, something we predicted in an interview a couple of weeks ago. Democrats aren't spending floor time uh, to bring these one at a time, and they could do that, for, especially for the combatant commanders, for the Marine Commandant. So are they playing politics as much as you are? Why aren't they bringing this to a floor vote? Exactly. And again, just change the policy back and let's vote on it. I mean, that's all I'm asking. Don't tell us what you're going to do because we are the ones that vote on it. I want the people of Alabama to have an opportunity to vote on this bill. And that's the reason they sent me here. The same people in Louisiana, same thing in Tennessee, New York. They have, a, they have an opportunity to vote on this. Now, if it passes, so be it. Let's go on with life. But they do not want to do it. They want to force it down the American people's throat. And I'm not going to allow that to happen. To be fair, it would take months for the Senate to vote on each general or admiral promotion. Although if military readiness is at stake, it's hard to imagine anything more important for the Senate to do. Tomorrow, we'll figure out who's playing politics, Democrats, Tuberville, or both. And we'll report on it. Chris is next. 